NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. So welcome, listeners. It's September 2020, and this is another collab in NWP's series on preparing for online, flexible, and for a lot of you, emergency remote teaching. So it's part of our Back to School Pandemic Edition series. You can find it all on rightnow.nwp.org. I'm Elise Ivan Adol, and today I'm really excited to bring to you three educators who have pulled together a new set of open resources for Equity Unbound that I know you're going to find really useful in getting started with your students and with your colleagues in a humane and learner-focused way. Most importantly, for the right now of back to school, these resources are full of ways that you can build an inviting an equitable and an inclusive community online. They are what you want to see right now. So without further ado, I want to welcome some colleagues. So welcome Mia Zamora, Maha Bali, and Autumn Keynes. Mia Zamora is Professor of Writing and Literature at Kane University and the Director of the Kane University Writing Project. Maha Bali is Associate Professor of Practice at the Center for Learning and Teaching at the American University in Cairo. And Autumn Keynes is an instructional designer at the University of Michigan, Dearborn. Now, if these names are familiar to you, you know them from, for example, NWP's CL MOOC or other connected learning work, but I'm gonna leave it to them to introduce themselves and the project that they came together to talk about with you today. So welcome everybody, thank you for coming. Mia, would you kick us off and just talk about this amazing project? I would love to. Thanks, Elise, for the lovely introduction. Um, we're so happy to join you and share some of this work with everyone. I guess the background that I just want to share with everyone is the point of origin with Equity Unbound, the story of Equity Unbound. So Equity Unbound is a network that um, has sort of grown um, in the last two years. It was founded by myself, Maha, who's here in this call, and then also Catherine Cronin, um, who's based in Ireland. But um, in essence, we got together and we talked about creating an emergent collaborative curriculum which aims at creating equity-focused, open, and connected intercultural learning experiences. So we're really a global network interested in supporting teaching everywhere. And a lot of what we do is connecting within our professional learning network and making um, possibilities, activities, and perspectives open up for all of our students through co-learning experiences. So Equity Unbound has been doing this kind of work for about two years. And this particular project, which we're sharing today, has grown out of a pedagogical, pedagogical approach and embrace for this really urgent moment where so many instructors are, are struggling with this online pivot or the former pivot and now this added onboard experience of starting from scratch in an online context. I'm going to pass um, the proverbial baton to the wonderful Maha, who really is at the helm of this work as the lead curator of the resources. So she'll describe this project that the three of us have been participating in, but Maha's really our um, lead in this. So take it away, Maha. <laughs> 
Uh, so, so the need for this was something that I think we'd been feeling out for several months. But there was one virtually connecting conversation that Autumn and I were part of uh, where people brought it up and we said, you know what, we should start doing something about this. Like all of us know it's needed. In our own institutions, for some reason, we didn't get an opportunity to just sit and talk about community building in detail and give people detailed tips about that because there's so much else that needs to be done. And so we thought we would do it and get people to contribute to it. And then I thought, you know what, we should seek funding for this so that we're not asking people to do more effective labor on top of a lot of labor that everyone's doing. And so I thought of uh, 1HE, which is an organization that aims to be global and to connect everyone together for better teaching and learning. And I'm on their advisory board. So I was like, would you guys be willing to fund something like this? Um, and they came back to me and they were like, you know what, we'll pay you. You pay whoever you like in whatever way you like to do a number of resources that we'd agreed on. And we thought we would, you know, meet up with people and demonstrate things. There's a lot of stuff out there telling you, oh, here's a list of icebreakers. Here's some stuff you can do. But first of all, a lot of icebreakers are really superficial and they're not necessarily meaningful. They're not necessarily equitable. They may not work very well for certain people. And at the same time, there are other activities that are a bit more complex that people can't imagine how to do them online. Um, and there are things that people do face to face that they wouldn't know which tools to use or how to adapt them for online. So we thought we'd work on this. And I got in touch with Autumn very early on with this because she was in that conversation. She's my partner, co-director in Virtually Connecting and with Mia because this kind of actually fits with Equity Unbound. So we're, we're all, all these three organizations working together to do this. And we've been inviting people to suggest things. And we've invited people to join in the videos who aren't suggesting things just to help us do groups of four or groups of five um, for certain activities. And, and we've been writing, so, so have, we have videos demoing things and then we have you know, written descriptions and adaptations. If you don't have Zoom, this is what you can do. Um, if you have students who are shy or don't wanna turn on their camera, here's what you can do. Um, and as this evolved, we also realized that one of the key things that's underpinning a lot of this work is the notion of intentionally equitable hospitality, which I know you noticed at least. And Autumn can talk a little bit more about that because that's a notion that we developed with Virtually Connecting and all three of us are involved in Virtually Connecting as well. So Autumn, do you wanna go ahead with this part? Yeah, sure. I can speak to that a little bit. So, you know, our work with Virtually Connecting was really about making academic conferences more accessible to people who typically don't get a chance to come to those kind of events. And those events really are, you know, they're centers of knowledge sharing and knowledge dissemination. And the fact that only like the most privileged people get to go to them is highly problematic. And so uh, trying to find ways to bring in other voices, trying to bring in voices that normally don't get to go to these kind of events is something that we were really focused on. But what that means is that we're dealing with a highly diverse community, right? We're dealing with some people from all over the globe, from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different intersections, lots of stuff going on. Um, the other thing, so Virtually Connecting has been going on for a while now. It's about five years old. And the other thing you need to know about that community is that it's highly self-reflective. So we are constantly kind of looking at ourselves and reflecting on what we're doing. And that's where this idea of intentionally equitable hospitality was born. We have a paper on it but I don't want to get too academic in a space like this, like the, 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 the papers, you know, pretty academic in terms of the language. I think really a lot of it is just right there in 
the term itself, right? So what we're talking about here is uh, thinking about the ways in which we're hospitable to people, the ways in which we welcome people, recognizing that not everybody feels welcome in the same ways. Not everybody's going to feel like they belong in the same ways. And so being intentional, specifically thinking about what can I do to make folks feel uh, welcome in an equitable way. So uh, thinking about where people come from um, and, and the specific things that are going to make them feel welcome. So the, the, the problem with hospitality is that a lot of times it can be thought of as um, like etiquette. So like mint on the pillow, right? Everybody gets their mint on the pillow and now you feel welcome and everyone's happy. Well, maybe you don't feel welcome with a mint on the pillow, right? <laughs> maybe you don't like mints. So really thinking about this and trying to get away from the procedure of hospitality so much and not thinking of it as like a mechanism or a checklist that you can just go through, really considering the people in the room, considering their backgrounds, their, their particular situations, where they're at, and, and trying to be equitable, you know, in all intentionality on that. Well, I, I know that people are uh, eager to get to the resources and we will get there in a second. And also just for anybody who's watching this, uh, we'll have links at the bottom of the show page so that any of these things that you want to find, you'll be able to find the links. But I'd love to spend another minute or two with that because Maha, as you said, was one of the things that I picked up on immediately that notion of intentionally equitable hospitality. And part of what I love about it is just even the thought of hospitality as a place to start, to welcome guests in effect into a learning environment and have them feel at home, like an essence of hospitality would be to share a home and have people feel at home. And it's such a, a humane way to think about what we often talk about in classrooms like building community, making connections with students, but to think of the space and welcoming people into the space. I think hospitality carries some of that and I kind of loved that. Um, I only found out about virtually connecting really maybe about a year ago, so I, I actually didn't know that it was about five years old. And uh, I wonder if we could just take a minute just to walk through it a little bit. That's also a lovely uh, a lovely project and in your global community too, you're thinking of a global community where, you know, conferences might involve international travel, that sort of thing. It really is the elites who are able to attend, but in a lot of cases for teachers too, even an academic conference that they might want to go to is a challenging thing to get to. So even though I know people are waiting for the resources, viewers, I promise we're going to get there in a minute. Uh, say just another word or two about the processes that you've come to develop around virtually connecting. Any oh, of wow. you? We'll try not to take too long on this one. <laughs> so so the, the thing that you said there towards the end about academic spaces not being accessible just because they're academic spaces, even if you're in there, right? One of the key things I think virtually connecting does, it sort of challenges this kind of academic gatekeeping because keynote speakers and like invited speakers come to these sessions when they're on site at a conference and they take time away for 30 minutes or more to talk to people who couldn't make it at the conference. And then other people at the conference can come and join. And so, and the, the, the people working with virtually connecting are usually, uh, maybe some of them are adjuncts, some of them might be graduate students and they get to sit right next to that person. 
and interview them. And it's not really even an interview. They're, they're, they're sort of facilitating a conversation. And there's someone on the virtual side making sure that the virtual folks get heard. Because if you're not really careful about that kind of thing, the high profile person might just dominate the conversation. And so to us, this is one of the key things is that, you know, you're having just this chatty conversation with someone, how's the conference been so far? It's not someone presenting, it's not a panel. Like a lot of what, not, right now there's so much virtual of everything, right? Including conferences, but how much of it is this conversation, this hallway conversation that you enjoy so much when you bump into someone at a conference in the hallways. And whenever I've attended a virtual conference uh, over the past few months, I've missed that. I've missed that opportunity. And so uh, even though all conferences are online now, mostly, what we've been doing with virtually connecting is what we call a missed conversation. After the conference is over, let's all meet up and chat about it rather than present. And do, uh, do Autumn or Mia want to add anything? I'll just say quickly that I just love that you emphasized the um, breaking down of gatekeeping and hierarchy that occurs in knowledge and production of knowledge communities. You know, I think that's really important. But the other thing is it, it translates into the resources. So I'll just say um, I'll just make that connection that ultimately when we're privileging or emphasizing hallway conversations, what we're really doing is building new forms of community and connection. And we can extend that sort of, we can model that in our academic and professional lives and then extend it into our classrooms. And that's precisely what these resources are about, is making third spaces and possibilities for connection in our classrooms so that students don't just dial in to hear content, but they start to feel a part of something. There's a kind of ethos and values that are implicit in all of this work we're talking about that we're bringing into the resources or not, bringing into the resource, it's the heart and origin of those resources. So um, that's my only comment. <laughs> so thank you. The viewers are saying thank you, Mia, for looking out for my desire to see the resources. So let's go ahead and, uh, and jump into that. And I think that we'll have some screen sharing now. Maha, are you going to take us through the collection first? And then we'll see in some individual ones. Is that the case? I could do that. Sure. All right, do I have access to share my screen? You should. Yeah. Okay, looks like I do. Awesome. All right, so, so the website, which I'm sure you're gonna share is 1heglobal.org slash equity dash unbound. So it's created by Equity Unbound, but hosted on the 1he website. And we, we talk about, you know, how you might use the resources and we encourage people to give us feedback and let us know uh, if they try something and it works well or if it doesn't and they feel like it's not hospitable to a certain group that we didn't take account of. There is no way you will take account of every um, minority or marginalized group in the world in every single thing. But if someone thinks of a way to make it do so, we're, we're encouraging people to give us that feedback. And so actually, for example, Kate Bowles from Australia gave us, um, she gave us feedback on safety considerations, for example, for trans people when they're introducing themselves, um, for minorities of different kinds. And we asked her, hey, why don't you contribute a resource on that? And now her resource is up on the site about that. So this has been um, a great learning experience for us as well. Um, so first of all, we started recording them sort of by just what we felt made sense at the moment. And we decided to record them very informally. So Mia's son shows up, my daughter shows up. Uh, we joke about things on the side and we decided to keep them like that. And people tend to like that because that's what most of us are. Most of us are not polished. Most of us don't have someone at our home to do the <laughs> video editing for us. And, you know, so we kept them like that. So you can imagine anyone watching them can imagine doing them themselves. Um, and so 
after we had a good group of 20 plus resources, we divided them up into different types. So some of them are introductory activities. So things you can do at the beginning of the semester, like telling the story of your name or a human scavenger hunt, or say, what kind of animal are you? Or draw, do a drawing together, right? And then there are other kinds that are about setting the tone. So just things to think about, like for example, how do you consider trauma-informed pedagogy, which I know people in K-12 know a lot more than we do in higher ed. Uh, but for us, it was a revelation this year, I think. And safety consideration, things like that. And then there are some warm-up activities that you can just do at the beginning of class. I mean, even things like just how do you check in with students? Because sometimes when you just ask them, how are you? They say, I'm fine. How can you ask this kind of question differently so that they actually truly know that you care about them and that you really want to know how they're doing? And uh, then there's a couple of other things. So things just for ongoing engagement, how would you structure your class so that there's always um, opportunities for students to collaborate and to engage with each other. And then there's one, one of the most important ones in my opinion, which is deliberating structures. This is not something that we made up. Deliberating structures have existed for quite some time. Uh, they have their own website. There are 33 of them and there are others that are being developed and there are ways of structuring conversations so that in large groups, you can achieve uh, better outcomes with more equitable uh, ways of uh, dividing the conversation so that everyone has a voice. And at the same time, it tends to be more effective, more creative. So I'll talk about one of those towards the end. But do you want us to, do you want to let Autumn share one of the resources? And then I think that would, be, that would be great. Yes, thank you. Great. Go ahead, Autumn. I okay, <clears throat> let me take over the screen share here. Okay. So this particular activity is, I think, a really elegant one because I think that it's something that we maybe do in our face-to-face -face classes is you show up a little early and you kind of hang out and you talk to people and maybe have some fun activities for them. It's called While We Wait. And just like Meha said, each one of the resource pages or activity pages will start with a very informal video with some folks talking about how this is, uh, some folks who have actually done it, right? Talking about the experience or uh, demonstrating the experience. And then down here, there are some tabs that just kind of walk you through that particular activity, what it's useful for, any kind of preparation that you might need. So this one doesn't have a ton of preparation. You can play some music. That's something that can be nice. Also using annotation tools inside of something like Zoom, put up something like a coloring page and let people collaborate and color together is one of the things that is suggested. You know, this one gives you some ideas about how to do it. So these are the things, this is the duration. So it should just be five or 10 minutes, right? Just showing up a little bit early. This is at every one of the resources or activities do have adaptations like Meha was talking about and then the technical requirements for each one. So that's the that's the activity that I wanted to share with all of you. I love this one because I think that it is you know, it's just really elegant in my mind. It's not anything super complex. I think anybody could kind of uh, kind of do that. And so I'll pass things over. I'm, I'm sorry, I forget. Am I passing it to that? I think we're going to Mia next. Um, but right. I, I want to make sorry. a connection, one quick <laughs> connection with the previous collab where for those who are watching several of them in a row, Matt Johnson talked uh, a lot about burning five. 
an idea that he got from another teacher, Matthew Kay, in his book, that the importance of just like burning off that five minutes in connection, in formal, you talked to me about hallway chatter, that type of thing, that in our face-to-face school situations, there's a lot of that kind of informal time uh, with young people. And if all of our time is just like pedagogical, but no informal connecting, what a loss that is. So I just wanted to make that connection if they feel really compatible. But Mia, I think we're going to, to you next. Yeah, great point. It just There's so much going on in those little moments that replenish us. And I think that that's what we all yearn for on some level. I'm going to share my screen now. Hopefully you can see I have up another activity that is within the uh, resources that is one of my favorites. And I've selected it today as a kind of shout out to um, the NWP community in particular because it involves reflective writing. So this activity is called the Spiral Journal. And there's a brief video here that you can watch that essentially Maha walked me through this. And for me, it was the first time I've ever done this. Um, So it was to watch a video is to watch me respond to something that is just a for for, it was a wonderful experience for me. And I'll just mention that I'm excited to roll this out with some students this evening. So I've been thinking about it recently and excited to to see how it hits the ground. I know it will yield some wonderful results. When, When you scroll down after the video, which is very useful, sometimes it's just better to watch someone go through something than read through the instructions. You can also access what Autumn had just walked you through with the while we wait activities. So you can click on useful for and get a sense of what this is useful for. So it can be a first day of class activity. Um, In my case, it's not a first day of class activity, but it's a sort of deepening the reflection and the reflective posture activity. And it's useful for engaging focus, drawing out some students who who are more shy and introverted in particular. So here in the spiral journal, essentially I'm clicking on um, preparation now, but you're going to ask your students to bring one piece of paper and some a writing utensil. It can be a pen, a pencil, it doesn't matter. And then you're going to ask your participants to fold the paper twice so that there are four quadrants on the piece of paper. And the first part of this activity is just to have them center themselves by uh, a particular drawing. And that drawing is to start at the the dead center of the page where the two um, lines hit together at the the cross um, center of the paper. And then just to slowly draw out in a spiral motion. And you're gonna give your students two minutes to do this. And there's something about this exercise that is a kind of visceral or embodied experience as well. So that slow process of drawing a tight spiral centers people profoundly, I think, at least it worked for me. Um, I should also at this moment just mention that this activity is inspired by Linda Berry's work and many um, people in the writing project know her work and it's important to give her that shout out because she does such amazing work regarding creativity and embodiment, etc. So you start out, you give the students two minutes just to make a spiral at the center of their four quadrant piece of paper. After that, you give them a minute to fill each quadrant or each square and you're giving them a prompt. So the first prompt could be something like, how does your body feel in this moment? 
The second prompt can be something like last semester, um, uh, this occurred or this was impactful to me. And then they're going to take a minute to respond to that. Then the next quadrant can be something like this semester, I hope that and then they're going to take a minute to respond to that. In essence, there are many different ways that you can fill out these four quadrants and you can um, vary your prompt depending on your context. But those are just a, like a little bit of an example of what kinds of things draw out that reflection. Ultimately, the last phase of after the four quadrants are filled with free writing reflection done one by one in one minute's time, then the next step is to ask your students to look at their paper and underline or circle one thing that they had written that impacted them. Then after that minute passes, the final phase is to ask the student to share out the thing that they underlined or, and this is a very important or, something else that they wrote about because maybe the thing that they underlined wasn't necessarily something they're comfortable sharing in a more broad sense. So it's very important that particular nuance there is to invite the student to share what they want to share with the group. And it can be something different that they underlined as they think through what is important to them. And that final phase of the share out can be done in breakout rooms if you have Zoom or it can be done ultimately, you know, if you have a smaller group of students, you could go through each person sharing out one thing. Tonight, I'm um, working with my master's thesis students. And so this is a beautiful exercise for them as they sort of deepen their reflection and their, re reflectivity, their reflexiveness. And I'm not going to do breakout rooms. I'm going to step through the 14 students one minute each for what they want to bring forth because I think it really establishes a sense of community. So you can click on the duration, the adaptations, and the examples, and there's so much richness there, but that's a glimpse into a writerly resource there, which really draws out people. I, I'm I gonna stop of, sharing. <laughs> uh, I kind of love too, just uh, so many parts of that, that it for folks who are now thrust into emergency remote and they haven't done this work, and maybe they're getting messages like everything has to be digital. Well, no, it doesn't actually have to all be digital. There are a lot of reasons to have a piece of paper and something in your hand. I love that. I love also that, I guess, two other things. One, yeah, let's take a minute to center ourselves. That's spiraling. Let's just take a calm moment um, to kind of come into a different headspace and body space too. I think the emphasis on bodies, there's so much like we're on the screen, but you know, these things are cramping up sitting in these chairs and yeah, all of that. Uh, so that's great. And then also the thoughtfulness about um, privacy. I know for a lot of K-12 teachers, there, there's a conversation right now in their districts that's playing out in lots of different ways uh, about privacy. Everything from, you know, can we turn our cameras off? Yes or no. Uh, can't, you know, do, what else do we see in the room and what do we do about what, you know, do people, do young people have to behave like they would as students in a classroom when they're in their own homes or not, because we are in their homes in some ways. So a lot of that thinking goes into this, um, this exercise that might seem simple, but clearly has a lot going on. So thank you for sharing that. 
Yeah, and, and I think one more, Maha. Yes, so I, I really agree uh, with all the things that you noticed about this one. I'm so glad you brought them all up. Um, so the one I'm gonna share now is one that can do double duty. I think it works really well if you use it with students, and I think it works really well when adults use it together. So I'm gonna recommend, and I always do this, when I do this uh, in a workshop to other teachers, I recommend they do it together in their department meetings instead of having like 10, 20 people in a meeting to break out into smaller groups and do this. And they can either do it, you know, if you have breakout rooms, you can do it that way. If you don't, just meet the three of you alone at a different time than the department meeting and do this together. So it's called Troika Consulting. Troika means three. Um, so in this video, I'm the facilitator and the three of them are doing the Troika Consulting. And it's, it's got this beautiful, sense of empowering participants to know that they can help each other and consult each other without needing an expert in the room. And so doing it for students or doing it for other teachers is really, really valuable. So the, I'm just going to open up the slides, which are also linked here in the additional resources, just so you know the process. It's another liberating structure. So the, um, the spiral journal is a liberating structure in development. It's a new one. This one is one of the main liberating structures. And it goes in three rounds where each person poses a challenge. They take just a minute to pose a challenge that they're facing. The others become the consultants and they ask clarifying questions for one or two minutes. And then there's a consultation for five minutes where what happens is that the client, the person who posed the challenge, turns off their camera, mutes, and does not participate while the consultants talk. And this is really important because in real life, when you're actually asking someone for help, you keep interrupting them, don't you? So it'll be interesting to see how well you explained your challenge, how well they clarified it, and then how well you can just stay quiet and listen to them while they discuss. And then after five minutes, we did the person who posed the challenge debriefs and says what was useful from what they heard. Um, and because the process is so structured, I ask people to usually take a picture of the instructions so that they don't forget what they need to do in each minute. Um, and as a facilitator, maybe I remind them, you know, now move to the next step, right? And then what happens is, another person becomes the client. So it's reciprocal. Everyone gets a chance to be a client, everyone gets a chance to be a consultant twice, and everyone benefits from that. Um, and what is really amazing to me, uh, when I did this for the first time, I was in a workshop where they were teaching me how to do it. And I had people from completely different fields. And in those like 10 minutes, they managed to give me a really, really useful consultation. And I'm like, why do we need people for a whole hour to consult on things when it could take 10 minutes? And then the reciprocity is really lovely because it means that we can all help each other. And I think for students to imagine, oh my God, I could always ask my colleagues for help. They probably do it face to face, but online they don't, I think they sometimes forget to do it or they'll only call on their friend and their friend might not be taking the course and you know, that kind of thing. Um, the, the important thing with this is when I gave this workshop to professors, some of them said, I'm not sure students will be able to manage this without some facilitation. And you know what, I, I told that person, you know what you could do? You could do it like fishbowl style, where you get four students or three students to be the center of the room, and everyone else is watching them have this consultation so that they experience the process and they understand how it works. And then eventually, after like doing this two or three times, once they get the idea, you can then send them out to do it alone. And I did that last, uh, last this week, actually, this Monday. And I told students, I'll pick four students every, every other class to do it. And I said, that will be the only time that I'm gonna really, really encourage you to turn your camera on. But again, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Um, and it works out really well the first time because especially with the online learning, they're, they're giving each other their challenges with online learning and giving each other tips for how 
they would solve the problem. And then after the consultation is over, others in the audience can contribute too and say, yes, I found that useful or I have another suggestion. And so it becomes something that the whole class I think benefits from. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A and of course, uh, since we often have many of us the same challenges, uh, hearing suggestions given to someone else are often, those often benefit us as well. Uh, ideas that we can use. Those are great. And I want to say that one of the reasons I really wanted to encourage people to go look at the resources is the thoughtfulness of the design uh, to really make these usable for people. So do you want to watch a video? Is that the way in? Do you need to think about materials you might need or preparation? So there's really a, a, a pedagogical, a teaching focus. It's really teachers for teachers you know, the, the stuff that we want for ourselves. So I love that about it as well. Uh, I hope that we could take, we could take a few more minutes because I just want to talk about some of the other things that you're, that you're learning here by doing the collection, but I don't want to miss going back to a couple of things. The notion that this is a collection in progress and that you're inviting contributions. Could you talk just a little bit more about that? All right, so there's a space on the website to give feedback per resource, but there's also a space to contribute something. So if someone wants to contribute something, they have an idea, uh, they can just send out that email and Nikki, who is, uh, Nikki Spalding is the one who's managing the website for 1HE, who is a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, she will collect those emails and every week she and I will sift through them and see if there's anyone who wants to contribute a resource. So if they've already got it written down somewhere, they can link to the blog or to a Google Doc or just type it in. Um, if they want me to meet with them and film the video together, because not everyone's comfortable creating a video on their own, I could meet with them and do it with them. Uh, and, and I would call on Autumn and, and Mia because we've been doing a lot of these together. So we use our judgment on, you know, what's the most important thing to do now, which is more urgent. I mean, one of the things we did was urgently produce these mid-August because people needed them before the semester started. And some people were already starting in August. Um, and then afterwards, we finished most of the introductory activities that we've got there back then, but now we're doing this ongoing community building, the warm-ups, you know, those kinds of things. So, but even if someone has an introductory activity, I think it would be fine to send it now because there are people in the Southern Hemisphere that are ending a semester and, you know, you never know. And in Canada, they have different like trimesters and stuff, so. Right, right. So both, uh, both contributing or responding to the activities that are here, particularly to make them more inclusive and more equitable yeah. and contributing new activities, but also getting the, the feeling from what you just said, Maha, that uh, as semesters go on, new problems might emerge. We're not always at the beginning of community building. So there may be another point where a question is, I don't know, how, how do we deepen conversation in a certain way? And here's a way that we figured out how to do that. So the, the collection can evolve with the evolution of our work with our students. Right, right. And may I say, a lot of them are also asynchronous. And this will make them useful when you're online or offline, because it's time to do things outside the classroom anyway. And obviously a lot of the synchronous ones you can do face-to-face -to -face too. It's just that we're showing you how to do them online. So I think these resources will have benefit whether you're online, hybrid, face-to-face, -to -face, today, next year, I hope, inshallah, that people will still find them beneficial. And we're gonna keep adding to them and hopefully people will keep contributing things that we didn't think about. That's been a, um, the online, offline, synchronous, asynchronous, that's been a conversation. And for a lot of K-12 folk, um, 
there's been a real pressure around, you know, get everybody on Zoom and Zoom all the time. It feels a little surveillance oriented, more so even than anything else um, behind it, though I'm sure there are all sorts of reasons that people think that's valuable. But then we hear a lot from folks who teach online that um, that really it's the asynchronous uh, space that seems really powerful to them. I wonder if any of you have any thoughts about that. I can take that one for a little bit. Absolutely. Your point is so, you know, important. That is the third spaces that are a part of learning become so important in the online experience. There's a lot of emphasis on the synchronous moment because there's a sort of urgency to the translation of classroom face-to-face -face experience, but that's really a misnomer. And I think that when we embrace the third spaces and the asynchronous possibility for um, learning in moments and over extended periods of time and in time that makes sense for each learner, then we're really transforming what education can be. So as an example, um, we ultimately have like we have social media spaces we also have sort of more closed social spaces like a slack channel or discord that we use um, and this is just in the communities that we participate in i'm talking about both equity unbound and virtually connecting but uh, uh, students can really use these kinds of spaces as well um, so I think if we start to think about online learning beyond just um, translation of synchronous into Zoom, we start to open up possibilities for a new kind of learning um, that is a better match for the lifestyles and the situation of many students. It also is more um, better connected to a co-learning kind of model because there's a way in which we can step in um, as a peer to share um, at different times and also share a little of our humanness, our uniqueness as individuals in third spaces. So, um, you know, that's my comment. And also there's a contractor in my house. So sorry if there's a, 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 a loud sound right now. <laughs> I'm going to mute. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all life. We're surrounded by life, so that's fine. Uh, Autumn, I saw you nodding your head when uh, Mia said co-learning and uh, the importance of that. And I thought maybe you would have some things you wanted to share. Yeah, um, really just kind of nodding all along while Mia was speaking there about this. You know, as a designer, as an instructional designer who, who does teach, I teach a little on the side, but my main thing is design. I'm always thinking about things in terms of affordances and limitations. And, you know, the when we start thinking about synchronous versus asynchronous, there's a lot of side taking. Folks who are like, oh, we got to be all synchronous or... We gotta be all asynchronous for all of these different reasons. And each one of those modalities has affordances and limitations. And so if we think about it in terms of what does this modality give me? Do I really need everything that it's giving me right now? And and also not always like, like I mean, even when we think about, sometimes we think about like a, a limitation can be an affordance. So one of the things that I love about the activity that Meha um, presented the trochea consulting, right, is that you, the turning off of the camera is an affordance in that activity, right? It, it um, makes it so that the people who are giving the consult consultation can't see the person's facial expressions because that's going to influence what they say, 
right? And that the person is listening and shutting off their microphone so that way they're not jumping in um, to influence what the, the folks who had been listening are now the, the advice and the consultation that they're giving. So it's not just about always on, that, that sometimes slowing down or turning off or um, just kind of taking things down a notch, taking things from synchronous to asynchronous, that can be very, very powerful. It's just a matter of, of thinking about it in that way. I also want to add something about asynchronous and how it buys you time. We think about time as something that's limited and that if you have an hour, it's very difficult for every person to participate substantively if you have 20 students. They would, they could, but they won't be as long as they want to. And then there's, you know, people who dominate and then people who are shy. But asynchronously, you can make sure that every single person gets a chance to participate because no one's going to interrupt someone else while they're introducing themselves on a recorded video or on a written bio, right? So it's giving that opportunity and then it's saved and it's done in a space where the student has agreed to save it that way, versus when you're recording your own class or they might say something spontaneous that they're not comfortable with. Um, and then on the other hand, back to what I think Autumn was, was emphasizing there is that one is good for something and another is good for another. It's just a lot of people can't express themselves, especially emotionally in text. Uh, some people can, like the three of us do it all the time. Like I think most of our relationship is text-based, but we meet every now and then too. Um, but sometimes you need that emotional connection coming from listening to someone's voice. And we all know that, but it's not the only thing and that's important. So thinking about the affordances and it's, I, I kind of love that also, it's not a war, we're not taking sides. <laughs> um, I love, Autumn, that you brought up that exact example, because I have to say, uh, Maha, while you were presenting the Troika, lots of folks in the writing project, of course, whether it's peer response groups or whether it's consultancies um, of similar protocol structures, um, are very familiar with the challenge of the presenter uh, being able to speak in front of the presenter. Will, will the presenter interrupt? Or as you were just saying, Autumn, you know, you're just like watching their face and then you're like, oh, I'm going to back off that. Uh, wait a minute, is this helping? Is it not helping? And I was thinking as you presented that, oh my gosh, the camera and the microphone off totally solves that problem. And you went right there. I think that there are probably people who are making notes about this for their writing project work, like right now for their response groups and everything else. That's fabulous. Well, we're, we're close to out of time, but I would love each one of you to take up um, a kind of advice moment, just an open advice moment at the end. There are so many folks who are, you know, starting this off and they're hearing perhaps all kinds of messages from districts or from institutional administrators, from families, et cetera. Having worked in this area, thinking about, you know, questions like, where do I start? Or what kind of thing just is a typical thing that just avoid this sort of pressure or this sort of idea? If you would give one tip to a newbie who's starting this off right now from each one of you, knowing you have 50 million tips you could give, but just to pick one, that would be wonderful. And I think one of the tips I picked up, just as an example from looking at your materials, there are a lot of places where you say privilege care. And I thought, that's like great. Mia, I don't know if you like if that was what you were about to say. That was exactly what I was you about go, to you say. You go, you go, Mia. Go ahead. Just to say a little more about that. I think it is such a hard time right now. Period. 
And when we privilege care, we're extending it to our students, never, you know, giving benefit of the doubt, um, listening, not always just plowing ahead. But the, the key thing I want to say is self-care, right? That you also have to remember where you're at in your day and in your life and to sort of take that deep like deep moment to center yourself and understand the role you play in the context of learning give yourself that space you need um, and you know design around um, care not only for your students but for yourself then everybody will be better that's what i believe in truly and for me just building on that for me one of the biggest self-care things is to have a community of uh, other educators if you're a teacher uh, that you can talk to and that you can bounce ideas off of and that you can share frustrations with because when you're trying this for the first time you know generally when i was beginning to teach it really made a difference to have someone to bounce ideas off of and when we were doing these resources we all inspired each other not because we were creating them for other people but because we were in these conversations together you know and you'll see us having revelations in the middle of the conversations about things um and so and, and, and even if things don't work out, have someone to talk it through with. Talk to your students as well. Sometimes your students can care back. Uh, you don't want to put the burden on them, but honestly, if you give them a lot of love and care, they will give it back to you as well. During these times, sometimes my students are even um, my best support, and they can let me know if something is working out well for them or not. So. Thank you. Mine will be maybe a little bit theoretical, and I just want to maybe remind us to be careful of the frames that we use in, to think about students. One that's a pet peeve of mine is I just want to encourage everybody to challenge the myth of the digital native, that our students don't necessarily all have access to technology. Digital redlining and the digital divide is a real thing that impacts our communities, and also they don't necessarily understand technology. They didn't, they were not born knowing how to use technology. Um, so challenge those myths for yourself, but also with your colleagues. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. And even if our students are very adept at something that's new to us, doesn't mean they know everything, particularly how to use technology for the purposes we want them to be able to use it for. Those are all fabulous tips and they, I think that people are really going to appreciate that and the need to extend grace to everybody. Trust our students, trust each other. We'll muddle through uh, and we will get through this. Um, thank you. The, the resources are wonderful. I hope everybody who's watching uh, not only goes to explore what's there, but consider how you can contribute over time. Uh, help the resources that are there be even more equitable and expansive by contributing your knowledge of them and putting in new things because actually this is something we can all we're all going through a very new learning situation even uh, we've heard from people who've been teaching online their whole lives that this feels different because they have not been teaching online during a pandemic so this is a different thing so the thing we can do is support each other. And I love that you created this to do that. Thank you all. And goodbye, folks. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.